Good morning, I'm Pastor Kyle Thompson. Thank you all for joining us for worship today, whether you're with us in person or watching online today, or joining us from downstairs in our traditional worship service. We welcome all of you as we are entering a Christian season of the year called Lent. It's the six weeks that leads into Easter Sunday. We actually kicked it off this past Wednesday, but we're going to continue that over the next six Sundays. And basically what Lent is, it's a time for us to really examine our relationship with God. How is it with your soul as we look forward to celebrating the Easter resurrection in just a few weeks? And so the way that we're going to frame that uh, this year is we're going to be looking at uh, this study by a Catholic priest who's just this really spiritual Christian guy. Uh, and he has a theory that our culture is drowning in addictions. And some of those addictions probably make sense to us, like addictions to alcohol or addic addictions to gambling or addictions to pornography, but that all of us have some level of addiction in our lives that maybe it's one of those or maybe it's something that we hadn't thought about, like an addiction to power or addiction to control or an addiction to violence, like what we're seeing in the Ukraine right now and even in city streets here in America. So theory is that there's, there's something in our lives that we are drawn to that prevents us from living a life to the full in Christ. And so I want to encourage you to maybe think about that through this series. We're going to explore that a little bit today. What could be happening in your life that's preventing you from living the full life that God wants you to live? What might you be addicted to? And ultimately, underneath this, Father Orr believes that all of us are addicted to what the Bible calls sin, brokenness. In the Bible, it literally means to miss the mark, that God has plans for our lives to live these amazing lives now and forever. But, and sometimes we get that right. But sometimes we miss the mark, and it brings bad consequences into our lives. And so we're going to explore that together. And Father Rohr says that even as, like, alcoholics are able to beat their addiction, right, through 12-step programs and Alcoholics Anonymous, right, that we can learn from some of those very same steps because those are biblical steps. And so we're going to be thinking about that. As we think about our culture that's drowning in addiction, how can we learn to breathe underwater? So we're going to give that a try, and we're glad that you're here today and hope that is helpful to you. And so as we shift our message today, I just um, want to let you know, like in my own life, uh, like when I begin to get sick, you know how that feeling is when you get a little, your throat feels a little bad or you start getting a cough or your nose starts running. Um, and, you know, when, I, when that happens to me, like pre-COVID, like just like regular cold or anything like that, I'm always slow to go to the doctor. Right, so when I have, you know, I'm starting to feel bad, you know, I try to self-medicate. I either like just, you know, take a day off and rest, get away from people. I don't want to contaminate anybody else if I'm getting sick or I get over-the-counter kind of prescription or over-the-counter drugs, uh, you know, something to knock that cold out. Now, my wife is exactly the opposite, right? As soon as she starts feeling sick or my boys start feeling sick, boom, to the doctor. And can we get, you know, a, a prescription, an, an antibiotic or something to try and knock that out? She doesn't play around with that. But I do. I just wait and wait and wait. And, and, you know, a lot of times, sometimes the rest helps me out. Sometimes, you know, the over-counter, uh, the medicine helps me, you know, just knock the cold out. But in some circumstances, none of that works. And I will just lie in the bed until I feel miserable enough to say, you know what? I am not able to get better on my own. I've got to go to the doctor and ask for some help. Right? And when I do that, guess what? The doctor gives me what I need. I feel better. And I think, well, why didn't I do this in the first place? All right, does anybody do that? Like, are you like me or are you like my wife? Like when you get sick like that, which, which route do you take? Um, but I also want you to maybe think about that in life in general. Is there something that's making you sick in your life? 
that's causing you not to have a life that is full, that's dragging you down a path that you don't want to go, and you refuse either to admit that there's something not right in your life or you admit that there's something right in your life, but you just feel powerless to do something about that. Is there something in your life that's holding you back from living a life that is full that you're just not able for whatever reason to do anything about? That's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to dive into a passage in the New Testament where we see and encounter of Jesus dealing with someone who's dealing with something very similar in, in a much more elevated way. So we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. Gospel means the good news of Jesus. Luke's one of the first uh, books in the New Testament, and basically it's just the story of Jesus. And so Luke was a first century disciple, and he's going to give us a slice into Jesus' life. So let's see what's happening uh, in Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. So the disciples and Jesus sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. And when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs, right? So this guy's naked. He's out in, in the graveyard, right? There's these spiritual things that are possessing him that are causing him lots of trouble. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at Jesus' feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. Right? So the man of the demons recognized that Jesus is the son of God. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. And many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and been driven by the demon into solitary places. So this man had been bound up by chains because he's possessed by a demon. He broke through those chains. Eventually he runs off to the cemetery and hides, right? He's all by himself. What a terrible existence this guy's going through, right? Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, right? A legion kind of refers to like a Roman legion in an army, right? Legion means more than one, right? In, in the times of Jesus, a legion would have been between 4,000 and 6,000 soldiers. So this is not just one demon. This is like four to 6,000. This is a bunch of demons that have taken over and possessed this man, right? So what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them into the abyss, right? Sending them back where they came from. And a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And the demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, right? Don't banish us from the world. We have to leave this man. Put us somewhere, so put us in the pigs. And Jesus gave them permission. And when the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. Now, I'm sure the owners of the pigs were real happy about this, don't you? Right? <laughs> Thank you. Right? No more bacon. Whatever, right? Right? When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, right, they ran off and reported this in the town and in the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. Well, you won't believe what happened to all the pigs, right? And this guy is possessed by demons, right? So when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And who wouldn't be afraid, right? All this stuff going on. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured, and then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, right? That's not what I would expect. Like, Jesus is doing miracles, right? And, you, and then you're asking him to leave, right? But, but they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and he left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, right? And who wouldn't? Like, you saved me from these demons. I'm with you. Like, wherever you go, Jesus, I'm going too. But Jesus sent him away saying, return home 
and tell how much God has done for you. I need you to be my witness here. I'm going to go elsewhere. You stay here. Tell the good word. Right? So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. This is an amazing story. We could spend a lot of time talking about it. We can't cover everything in here today, but there's some points that I want to kind of draw out for what our discussion is today. So let's look at some of these main points. The first one, I didn't put it up here, but basically that demons are involved. Right? And we think, well, what's a demon? That's kind of scary. Right? We don't necessarily see demons around in our lives every day. And you know, Some people say, well, maybe the people in the first century just didn't understand mental health. That's what was going on. That you know, a demon was mental health. I don't think that's true. I think it was a spiritual critter, right? It was evil that possesses men, or like four to six thousand of them. We don't really see that a lot now, but in Jesus' day, it was happening, right? But just hang with us, right? So the demons are there, and the demons recognize Jesus, and they resist, right? You can know who Jesus is and still resist him. You can believe in Jesus and still not be with him, right? And the demons are on the losing side of the war, but they're not going out quietly. They want to fight and do all the damage that they can. They know that they're lost. They know that they've lost. They believe in Jesus, but they still stand against him, right? And the man is helpless, right? He's isolated. He's by himself. What does evil do to us? It tries to get us away from each other, get us away from God, get us to where we're by ourselves, and then we become helpless, right? So he's helpless. He's alone. And that the presence of evil results in death. In this case, all those poor pigs, right? When evil's around, something's going to die. We're going to see this when we get to the Easter story, right? That because of our sin, right, our missing the mark, Jesus had to die on a cross, right? Something has to die when evil's around. Jesus did it for us. In this case, the pigs take it uh, for the man, right? Let's keep going. The people asked Jesus to leave, right? I don't have time to go into all this today, but just think about that. This, this Jesus does something good for someone in their community, and then they ask Jesus to leave. They act as if nothing ever happened, right? That's just one I think you're going to have to wrestle with. I wrestle with that too. Why would they ask Jesus to leave when he can do something so great? Jesus saves the man, and then the healed man is a witness for Jesus. And who wouldn't be, right? You healed me of these demons. Like, man, I'll do anything that you want. I want to tell people all about what you did, right? I was tortured. I was in the graveyard. Right? I was busting through chains. No one wanted to be around me. And now look what Jesus has done. So as we think about this scripture as it applies to us, I don't think that you're possessed by demons. But I think those things in our lives that cause us from living a life that is full, that we become addictive to, can be like a demon, right? It can torture us. It can bother us. It can stick with us. It can mess with us. It can try to isolate us, right? I want to jump to another scripture from Paul who wrote most of the New Testament. He was a first century pastor, and he's writing to a group of Christians who lived in Rome and this is what he says about him own self, right? And see if this sounds familiar to you, right? I do not understand what I do sometimes, right? For what I want to do, I do not do. Like, I like to do the right thing, but I just don't always do that, right? But what I hate, I do. I know I shouldn't be doing this. I know it's going to be bad for me, but I'm just going to do it anyway. You ever, you ever felt that way? Right? That, that's Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, is saying this. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. Right? Now, that's not completely true. There's goodness in all of us, but there's also some evil inside of us, right? That is, in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Right? Sometimes we want to do the right thing. We know what the right thing is, but we choose to do the wrong thing anyway, right? And so Paul is really wrestling with something that I think that we're all wrestling with, right? And so what is it in our life that we wish we could stop doing it's ruining our lives, but we keep doing it anyway. What is that in your life? Right? And that's what Richard Rohr would say is like, we are addicted to that. 
And we've got to figure out a way how to get out of this addiction to break that because that's not how Jesus wants us to live our lives. I've got a quote from Richard Rohr here. He says, we're all spiritually powerless, like that, that guy who was possessed by the demons, not just those who are physically addicted to a substance, right? So not just people who are addicted to alcohol or heroin or whatever it is. We all have addictions that go deeper inside of us to something that's broken in our hearts and our souls, right? Alcoholics have their powerlessness visible for all to see, right? The rest of us disguise it. We disguise our powerlessness in different ways, and we overcompensate for our more hidden and subtle addictions and attachments, especially our addiction to our way of thinking rather than God's way of thinking. What might you be addicted to? Some of us, it's alcohol. Some of us, it's marijuana. Some of us, it's heroin. Some of us, it's pornography. Some of us, it's gambling, right? Some of us, it's our work. Some of us, it's gossip and talking negatively about people. Some of us, it's, it's obsessively having bad and negative thoughts. Some of us, it's greed and money and trying to make ourselves feel better by purchasing things. Some of us, it's power. Some of us, it's controlling. We want to control everything at, at work or the people at school or our children or our grandchildren, right, or our spouse or our boyfriend or our girlfriend. Some of us are addicted to our own ego and our own way of thinking. What might you be addicted to that's keeping you from living a life that is full in Jesus? What might you be addicted to? So what are we talking about? We're going to have a couple of so what moments today. I want to give you the first one today, right? And again, these, these are going to be tied to kind of like the 12 steps of the AA process, but they're also very biblical, right? So step one, we admitted we were powerless over blank. Right? An alcoholic would say alcohol. What are you powerless over? What is derailing you from living a life to the full that you just keep doing over and over again? We admitted we were powerless over this, that our lives had become unmanageable. What part of your life is unmanageable because something's dominating you that doesn't need to be dominating you and you're just powerless over that? Right? Good questions here, right? So another Richard Rohr quote. Throw that up, Melissa. Until there's a person, a situation, an event, an idea, a conflict, a relationship that you cannot manage or handle, you'll never find the true manager who is Jesus. There's going to be something in your life that you can't control. There's going to be something in your life that's going to dominate you and prevent you from living a life that is full. And until you admit that you can't beat it by yourself, you're going to be stuck. Right? And so we're going to come up against these opportunities in our lives that are going to hold us back. But the good news is it's an opportunity for transformation to happen in our lives, for something to change. And we can't change it on our own. We're going to have to get help from God to do that. Check this verse out. This is from John's gospel, right? Another disciple of Jesus. These are the words of Jesus. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. If you drop a kernel of wheat on the ground, that, no big deal. But if it dies, it produces many seeds, right? Jesus is talking kind of metaphorically that for us to grow and, and to have things good happen in our lives, there's certain parts of our lives that need to die these addictions need to die, right? And we're not able to take them out by ourselves. We're going to have to rely on something bigger than ourselves. So how do we open ourselves to God? How do we open ourselves to, to a, a power that's bigger than us to help us with what we are powerless against? What needs to die inside of us so that the goodness 
can live inside of us? That's a good question for Lynn. What in our lives needs to go away? What needs to stop? What needs to die that's holding us back from living a life that is full? More scripture, this time from Paul again. This time he's writing to a bunch of Christians in the first century, uh, the Thessalonians, and he says this, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you. That means make you holy, make things happen that are good in your life through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Your spirit, your soul, your body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Richard Rohr kind of translates this in a different way. Uh, He says that this is about our mind, our heart, and our body, right? If we want to have a fighting chance against this stuff that holds us back, then then our minds need to be aligned with Jesus, our hearts need to be aligned with Jesus, and even our bodies themselves have to be aligned with Jesus. Let's think about that. How do we open ourselves to God? Well, one, we have to surrender our minds to Christ, right? Let's look at this. We can do this, right? We open our minds to God through contemplative or meditative practices, right? How do we open ourselves to God with our minds? We need to think about God. We need to talk to God through prayer. We need to study God's word in the Bible, right? We... Our minds need to be focused on God. If we're going to beat the things that are happening in our lives that are holding us back from living life to the full, we have to connect to God. We have to surrender our minds to God. We need to think about God. Think with God. Let God help us think through things, right? So what is your thought process? How is that aligned to God in your life? Next thing is we have to open our hearts to God, our emotions, right? How do we feel and experience God? How do we open ourselves to God? Have we given God our hearts? We might understand God, right? Remember the demons understood Jesus? They believed in Jesus, right? Their hearts weren't there, right? So we can believe in Jesus, but our hearts align with Jesus, right? How do we do that? Well, we have to heal from our past hurts. There's a lot of baggage that we carry around in our lives that, that we have not dealt with, that gets in the way of our relationships with other people. It gets in our relationship, the way of our relationships with God. A lot of times our baggage makes us bitter and angry and hurtful, and we cut ourselves off from God. We cut ourselves off from other people because we don't want to be hurt anymore. At some point, we're going to have to let that go, right? Right relationships with people open our hearts to God. Remember what happened to the, de- the guy possessed by a demon? It isolated him by himself, right? When we're in relationship with other people, it means that we're not alone that other people can help us connect with God, right? When we feel that we're cut off from God, other people can help us see how we're connecting to God. So other people help us connect to God with our hearts. And then, right, brain activities like art, music, dance, poetry, games, fasting, relationships, right? Things of beauty that God has created open our hearts to God. I see God in all kinds of places in the world because God speaks through these ways in our lives. And then finally, today, being broken, like a broken heart. Sometimes we have to hit rock bottom to realize, right, we can't make it without God, right? Sometimes, right, we have to hit rock bottom in our lives. Our hearts have to be broken. Like when I'm lying sick in my bed saying, I don't need to see a doctor, there comes a point to where I'm absolutely broken. I'm not going to get better unless I see a doctor, right? If we want to connect emotionally with God, sometimes our hearts need to be broken. And that's counterintuitive, right? Nobody wants a broken heart. But from a broken heart can come the sense that we are powerless without God. So have you given your heart, your emotions to Jesus, right? And then finally, this is one we probably don't think about, right? We open our bodies to God. That sounds a little weird, Pastor Kyle. I don't want to go there, right? right? But think about it, right? Our minds, 
And our emotions are in physical bodies, right? They're affected by our physical brain, right? So if we're not good to our bodies, then our, our thinking is thrown off, our emotions are thrown off, right? When we're not physically healthy, it affects who we are, right? We're created together, our mind and body, right? It's all together, right? Mind, body, heart, all together, right? Jesus was the incarnation. He left heaven to become a, a, a person, right? Jesus was God in the flesh. Our bodies are important. We cannot neglect our bodies, right? So we need hugs, right? We need exercise. We need to take care of our bodies, right? Our bodies are a way of opening ourselves to God. The Bible says that our bodies are, are a temple where God dwells, right? So let's think about this practically. You know, some churches have a reputation for being churches that connect to God through the head, right? You go there, you're going to hear a very intellectual sermon. Uh, people are going to know their Bible. They're going to know their theology. Like, they, they have head knowledge of God, right? But, but they might lack in an emotional connection to God, right? Some churches, some Christians connect to God through emotion, right? Like, the songs that we sing are powerful, and we just, we can feel God. We, we experience God on a mission trip, like we go to help someone. And we, we just feel that mountaintop experience, this emotional connection to God, and those are great things, but if, if we're not doing that in conjunction with our minds, then, then our emotions, are, we're not always going to be on a high. And when we're not, does that mean that God doesn't love us? Absolutely not. Right? We have to use our brains too. And then there are churches that focus on the body. And you probably haven't thought about this, but, but these are churches like who feed people who are hungry, right? Taking care of people's bodies give clothing to people who are cold, who don't have clothes, who do the work of justice, fighting for justice in the world, racial justice and justice for, for all sorts of folks, right? And that's a good thing too. But if those churches aren't talking about a personal relationship with Jesus where we can experience God in our hearts or a, a relationship where we can experience God in our minds, some churches just become like civic organizations and they don't talk about Jesus at all. And so it's important for us to connect to God, right, when we need the help of God with our minds, with our hearts, and with our bodies. Let me just ask you a question to ponder when you get home. When you make a decision, what do you base it on? Do you do it based on your, on your brain? Do you like, make a rational decision? Do you make your decisions based on your emotions? Oh, I feel good about this, or that makes me happy, I'm going to do it. That makes me scared, I'm not going to do it. Or do you make decisions based on your gut, like just your intuition, right? Even the way that we think, right, mind body, uh, heart, right? Think about that. But to do it with God, we got to do all three of those things, okay? A couple more scriptures, right? One is this, Second Corinthians. This is Paul again. And he says, indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might rely on ourselves, not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead, right? When we are coming up against these addictions and we feel like that they're absolutely crushing us, our only hope is not ourselves. It's something more than us. It's God. Right? If something needs to die in our lives, Jesus is there to resurrect what needs to be resurrected. Right? And then the next passage of Scripture, this is Matthew's Gospel. And this says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Right? Jesus saw that man possessed by the demon and it moved him and he wanted to help him. And Jesus sees all of us when we're battling those things that are like demons in our lives, those addictions that are bringing us down. He sees us and he loves us and he wants to help us. So again, I said two so what's. Let's go back to the first one. One, we admitted we were powerless over blank. What are you powerless over? That's dominating your life. That's keeping you from living a life that is full. What do you need to surrender to Jesus, right? 
We admitted we were powerless over whatever it is that our lives had become unmanageable. What is causing you to be unmanageable, right? We have to name it, right? Like Jesus named the demon legion, right? And then so the second one is we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity, right? If we're powerless, then how do we defeat it? There has to be something that has power to help us, and that's Jesus, right? Whatever it is that's got us in the chokehold, right, Jesus is the one that can take us through that, right? We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. So we are powerless against the things in our lives, but Jesus is the answer, right? We came to believe that. Now, this is important. We came to believe in Jesus. This is a faith journey. For some of us, it's an instantaneous, I'm on board, right? Like the guy who got healed by the demon, I'm in, I'm on board, right? For a lot of us, we might not be there yet. This might be the first time we're we're talking about it, right? We came to believe, that's a process. Some of us come to believe and then we step back, right? We need to have our faith strengthened. So I would guess a question maybe to ask yourself, where are you in the faith journey? Have you believed in Jesus yet? Are you still coming to believe in Jesus? Is that still a process? Remember, the demons believed in Jesus, but they did not call him Lord. Where are we on this process? Now, in the midst of this, I do want to say just kind of a disclaimer. Some of these things we feel powerless against. We can't do anything against it unless Jesus helps us. But that doesn't give us the idea to play the victim card. We still have a choice. We can still say, Jesus, I'm lost without you. I need your help, right? We still have a choice. We still have a choice. We still have freedom, and we have a choice, right? If I'm battling an an addiction to alcohol, I can still go to AA and say, I need some help. If I'm battling a gambling addiction, I can go to a self-help group or a group that helps me. I have a problem. I can't beat it on my own. I need some help. As we get to the core of what's going on in our addictions, it's our sin, right? We're broken. We do the wrong things, right? There's something broken inside of us. Jesus, I need you to forgive me of the things that I do. I can't do it on my own. Because how addiction works, like, it's, it, we don't even think about it, right? There's something hurt inside of me. There's something not right in my life. So I pick up a bottle and I start drinking, right? There's something broken in me. I don't feel good about myself, I start talking bad about other people. That makes me feel better to make them feel worse, right? There's something broken in me, and I don't feel good about myself. I I start to shop relentlessly because I think I can buy something that's going to make me feel better about myself, right? In this addiction process, oftentimes we're not consciously making those those connections. We just do it. I feel bad about myself. I pick up a bottle. I feel bad about myself. I'm going to go buy something, right? We're not consciously doing it, but the brokenness inside of us drives us to these addictions, right? And we need to name that. And we need to claim we can't do anything about it without Jesus, but we do have the choice to ask for help. So a couple of things I invite you to think about doing. We usually have action steps this uh, season of this sermon series. We're going to have breathing lessons. How do we breathe underwater? How do we breathe in a culture that's drowning in addiction, right? One, name your addiction or addictions. What is it, right? With the demon, it was legion, right? Named it. You got to name what you're struggling is it alcohol? Is it control? Is it gossip? Right? Is it insecurity? Is it negative thoughts? Is it being a bully? Right? What is it? Is your demon or demons? And name it. Right? That's a big step is to be able to name that. Right? Then where are you on the journey of faith? Right? We talked about we came to believe that it's going to take something bigger than us. It's going to take Jesus. Where are we on the faith journey? Right? It's okay wherever you are. If you're just starting, if you're way ahead, if you slid back, right? it's just good to know where you are 
on the faith journey and say, hey, God, help me take that next step, right? And then what's closed off from God, right? Is it your head? Is it your heart? Is it your body, right? Remember the three ways that we connect to God? Have we given God our, our, our intellect? Have we given God our hearts? Have we given God our physical bodies? And we talked about the importance of that. Uh, and then one other thing that we're going to be looking at, and this is going to be weird. Maybe take a picture of this. This is deep stuff. We're going to get through this the rest of this year. I'm not going to do it all today. These are countercultural things that the Bible teaches us that's going to help us beat our addictions, right? One, we suffer to get well. Well, that sounds great, doesn't it? We suffer to get well. Remember when I said sometimes we have to have our heart broken to realize there's a problem? Or we have to hit rock bottom to realize that there's a problem, right? Like I get sick in my bed and I can't get out and, and do anything about it until I go to the doctor, right? We have to hit rock bottom, right? Sometimes we have to suffer so that we can get better. Now, what this isn't saying is that Jesus is torturing you or causing you to suffer. If you're in an abusive relationship and someone's beating you or sexually abusing you, that's not what I'm talking about at all, right? We have to suffer to get well. Sometimes we have to hit rock bottom or that addiction has to mess with our life so much that we can't change it. We have to understand that, right? We surrender to win. We die to live. We looked at that today in John's gospel. We give it away to keep it. I don't have all the easy answers, but I'd like you to take this and think through it and pray about it. We have journals downstairs in the Crossroads space that follow this series, and this stuff's in there, and there's daily things that you can read and then you can write about. It's going to be a great way to connect to God. Right? We've got some down there free. You've got to go down to the Crossroads. All of our books didn't come in today, but they're, they're coming, so we'll have more next week. Follow up with this, right? I want you to think and imagine that you're that guy in the story about Jesus and you're in the graveyard and you're by yourself and you're tortured and you're beaten up because there's something messing in your life and you're broken. What is it? What can you do? Can you name it? And are you ready to surrender to Christ and ask for help? In the world that's drowning in addictions, what are they? And how do you plan to breathe underwater? We say we're powerless in front of it, but there's one that is not powerless, and that is Jesus, and we can call on him.